Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, back as always, your humble narrator, or as my case, today's interviewer for my wonderful external guest that I've got in today. I'm going to introduce her in a second, but... Today we're talking about pay gaps and uh, there's a report which is out by an organisation called BCOM which is titled Leveling the Playing Field, a look at the gender pay gap and other compensation trends. And I found out about this report probably about a month, five weeks ago and had a little read through and I thought some of the findings were really, really interesting. So we wanted to get Ashley Tellard, Tellard uh, who uh, uh, works at BCOM to join us. And Ashley, how are you doing? You all right? Doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have you on. Now, when we did the pre-sort of chat before this, I absolutely butchered your first name. Did I butcher the surname there as well? Or did I get that one all right? Everybody butchers that surname. <laughs> it's Taya. I married a Frenchman. I've been spelling and t- and telling people how to narrate that name ever since. Hey, uh, so don't edit on that. This is one for produ- producer Brandon, who doesn't often get a sound check or a, a name check on the uh, the podcast because he normally edits himself out. But Brandon, don't edit that one out because I want myself to be held up and accountable <laughs> for uh, absolutely destroying Ashley's Tayard's full name. But Ashley, just before we go into the report, I do want to delve into some of the interesting facts, facts and figures from it. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of an overview from your perspective, a little bit about yourself and what you do, and then a little bit about uh, BCom as a business too. Yeah, will do. So I come from the world of HR. I was formerly a HR director for companies like SAP and Telefonica O2. Was always super passionate about the area of performance management in particular. So I went into consultancy in that area, did a research master's in it, and eventually established a HR tech business called Our Tandem, which was all about performance management. Become acquired that business about a year ago. And together we have a unified platform all around what we consider two of the most important topics in HR, compensation and performance. The two biggest reasons why people stay or leave your organization. So our platform is all about delivering personalized total rewards aligned to real-time performance and just making those processes really deep and meaningful for employees and their experience with the organization. Right. So let's get into the report itself. Let's dive into some of the details. First and foremost, a bit of a kind of helicopter view, if that's okay, on the report itself. Like, why did you decide to put it together? And just kind of like, yeah, one or two minutes are on some of the the key bits, the key nuggets. And then we'll delve into some of the specifics, I think. Yeah. So this is a topic that's super close to becomes heart. We've been studying this area for many years now and it's it, we've doubled down our offering in, in pay equity as well. So it's it's really a key milestone for us to look at how opinions are changing around pay gaps over the years. So we're seeing real trends across what's happened in the past versus what we're seeing today. And what we did was we surveyed about 2000 employed adults, you know, split between US and UK just to learn their perceptions, their experiences of pay gap and to really look at what they expect from their employers versus the government, what challenges they see with it. And our findings overall is 
really reflect in a, an evolving environment, you know, something where companies are really being held to account for it. There's an awful lot more open communication about compensation in the workforce now, which is interesting trend, I think, and that people are increasingly more willing to share their salaries. So I think that heightened awareness now of the pay gap is even more real for people because it's not just headlines in a report or, you know, a newspaper headline. It's actually, I know what my colleagues are being paid. Therefore, I know how big this gender pay gap is, or I think I know. So mm. I think that's a, it, it's been really interesting to look at how those perceptions have evolved over the years. And of course, because we've been doing this for a few years, we were able to look back at trends of, you know, how different was it in 2019 versus today? And we saw some some significant trends there as well. I was going to actually ask this towards the end, but I feel like jumping in now. We were just talking about it off air before we hit record. When I read the report, I thought it was interesting because there was some, there's a key sort of narrative running through it around this idea of transparency and open communication throughout. And yeah. I don't know whether or not it's a cultural thing and it's a me thing being the age that I am. I shall not reveal that age on a podcast, <laughs> of course, but um I started to think about my own friends and my own environments that I, I live and work and surround myself in. And it's always a very uncomfortable conversation around pay. And yeah. we just don't like in my sphere of friends or work colleagues, it's just not talked about. And I started to think, well, is that just a is that an age thing because of the age I'm at and because of the generation I'm at? Is it just a a cultural thing as well? Is it a British thing, very British thing not to talk about it? So I just wanted to get some thoughts from you on that perspective before we go into some of the other little nubbins of the report. Yeah, yeah, it's such an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I'm I'm of uh, an older age, I would say, than you are. And I would feel the same. I feel like salary is kind of one of those things you just don't talk about. But what was really interesting in the report, what really grabbed my attention, and, and I was curious about this too, was there was two big factors that changed people's, I suppose, uh, openness and communication around salary ranges. One was the pandemic. Interestingly enough, they were more open to talking about their salary ranges after the pandemic. And the other one was the cost of inflation. Now, I think the cost of inflation is, is you know, is very understandable. When inflation was rising, I think people kind of fall into more natural conversations where they're like, gosh, the shopping is more expensive or my restaurant bills are more expensive. Oh, salaries aren't keeping up. So then you can kind of fall into a very natural conversation about salary ranges. And that opened up the doors on people talking about salary. The pandemic, I thought, was more curious because arguably you'd be less likely to talk about salaries because you actually weren't at a coffee cooler or you weren't yeah. at the water, you know, just, just sharing tidbits. But I wonder if, you know, did we all get a little bit more human during the pandemic? There was that connection, wasn't that? That humanity that arose during the pandemic. And mm. I think that humanity led to more deeper and meaningful relationships between colleagues. And ironically, <laughs> that they were separated, but they got closer in, in different ways and they were more likely to uh, share salary ranges. So really interesting trends because there's, we see an awful lot more openness now among colleagues sharing salary range, salaries with each other uh, versus 2019. So yeah. definitely transparency and communication has increased significantly and that's probably a march that's not going to change we see that only getting bigger and bigger over time yeah certainly it's interesting when you were just talking there about people being more open 
when they were sort of at, at pandemic times. And I wonder if, so I'm sitting in my office at home now, and this is a, a place where I have a lot more psychological safety than perhaps maybe in an open mm. office environment. Like you said, those water cooler moments. So I don't really know the answer to that. I, I just get some thoughts from you on that. I wonder if that had part of it, like you feel a bit more comfortable, you know, this is my house. So I can talk about things that are a little bit more personal to me, like salary. Yeah, yeah, I think you're completely right. I think those work barriers just came down because we were all in our natural states. And before we discovered the artificial backgrounds, you could see, you know, the 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 place I live, the lifestyle I'm living. You can kind of get a sense of, oh, there's, you know, they're sitting in the playroom and there's all the toys in the background. And I think we all just got a little bit more human. And that psychological safety probably led to much more open conversations about the workplace the leadership in the workplaces, the salary, all the things that really matter because all the perks fell away, didn't they? Like mm-hmm. the things that distract us in the office, like the the cool canteen or the games room or the benefits, you know, the socializing. There's a not when you think about the office, there was a lot of things that kind of kept us maybe distracted from the deeper conversations whereas now the conversations are really about the big stuff do I like my boss am I getting a fair wage for a fair day's work I think we started to evaluate those things with a much more focused lens and we felt comfortable talking about them with each other because there were more one-on-one conversations happening. I think a lot of people did the virtual coffees together. So, yeah, so I definitely think it's 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 changed our ways of working, but it's also changed perceptions about what's acceptable to talk about. Yeah, and what's people focusing more on their own well-being? Like, that's been a big thing, hasn't it? And I know we, we, we're not, obviously, this isn't a specific well-being pod today. We're going to get back onto the report. But I just, what you're just saying there really resonates from me, with me, just how people are starting to think about themselves and their own happiness a little bit more. So that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Right, let's talk about some specifics about the report. Because in the report itself, you do go into, obviously, detail on sector that are sectors that are most likely to be aware of gender pay gaps. So can you just talk our listeners through a little bit more detail about that? Like, what, what's, what are the sectors that are more, more or less aware? And why do you think that is? Yeah, yeah. So this was really interesting because the financial services workers were the most likely to be aware of the gender pay gap in the US. In the UK, it was more or less the same. There was a percentage difference between finance workers and software technology workers. They're like 51% of the finance workers felt the, the, the had the biggest awareness about the gender pay gap. And I wonder, you know, should we be all so surprised? Because these are industries that traditionally did struggle with diversity, particularly women in leadership and so on. The financial mm-hmm. services have been out trying to rectify that for a bit longer, I would say, than the tech industry has. And of course, the tech industry during the, the pandemic wasn't kind to diversity in the tech industry because an awful lot of the female workforce ended up getting laid off during during the, the you know, that, that big call that the technology industry did. So I think maybe it's not so surprising that those are the two industries that were most aware. But I think, you know, Nearly half of the US and 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 almost half, like 44% of the UK employees in the financial services industry believe that gender pay gap is real, that men out earning women in the industry, despite equal experience, skill and performance. Interestingly, those are the same employees who are also the most willing to publicly share their salary. So I think their awareness is so high that they want to help with the problem. They're willing to kind of put their 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 own stake out there. 
in order to kind of progress the conversation. And and most of them said, like three seventy two percent of them said, yeah, we would happily open up our, our our salary ranges if if this would help the conversation along. So yeah, interesting that those industries came out on top. Probably not the biggest surprise in the world. I would well, that's going to be the next uh, question I was yeah. going to ask you. Was what was? Is there anything that really stood out to you? It was like, oh wow, okay, from a from a sector point of view, or yeah, or from the geography point of view as well. Yeah, so the US and the UK weren't weren't so far apart, but here was the the interesting thing. Nearly seven in 10 of the US respondents were aware of the gender pay gap, but far fewer of them understood the discrepancy. They actually thought it was worse than it is. So that's interesting, I think, because women on average earned about 82 cents for every dollar in the US in 2022. But most respondents believed that it was as low as 64 cents. So they thought that the gender pay gap was actually worse than than it actually is. And the awareness is also a problem for the UK workers. Only half of the employees said they'd be made aware of the UK's pay gap reporting laws and more men interestingly saying that than women, which is interesting too. So so they were they were interesting trends to to consider. On the pay laws one, what do you think can should be done um is it is it a case that there's more work needs to be done to then publicise and champion this? Do you think not not enough work is done around those pay laws, those pay gap laws? Yeah, I really think that that's the issue, and I think we can't rely on, you know, only the government coming out to report on what's out there. I think employers themselves have to come out really yeah. strong on the pay gap and talk to their people about the pay gap. I know some companies who do this really, really well, by the way, and they sit down there and they even have focus groups to go, you know, with, with different segments of their population to talk about pay gap and they're really deep and meaningful discussions. But I think what the report is clearly showing is that, you know, employers maybe aren't doing enough to educate their people on what laws are required, how they're responding to those laws and what they're doing above and beyond the minimal law. Because you want employers to be taking pay, the gender pay gap really seriously. You, they shouldn't need a law to tell them that, you know, you, you need to sort it out and here's what we're doing to sort it out. So I feel like those conversations maybe are lacking and, and the report definitely reflects that, that employees weren't getting the right level of detail from their employers. And there's a real onus. They believe there's a real onus on employers to tell them more. One of the things that has um, obviously been in the press quite a lot in the last year or so is this sort of idea around, well, not idea, it's a fact around the cost of living crisis. And that's been something that has been a, a real challenge for people. They've seen it as a big issue. I guess the pandemic question was quite interesting because it, it look, as we say, it prompted a, a discussion of paper colleagues. But like the numbers that you came out at 55%, did you expect those to actually be higher given the conversations that everyone's been saying about the cost of living crisis? I think with reports, you can never predict where these things are going to go. So so there's never a, a moment where you're like, I think that's going to come in at 80% or something. But I do think it you know, it depends on where you're coming from, where your perspective is. I mean, even generationally, we mm -hmm. can see a difference. And we saw that in the report that the youngest in the US workforce were feeling that they're more unfairly paid than than others. The reverse was true in the UK. Half of the baby boomers represented the oldest employees, most likely to say they didn't receive fair pay. I think the cost of living crisis might reflect where you're at in your life as well and how hard it hit you. Maybe it's not a surprise that 
the youngest people would feel they're unfairly paid because they come in, they do kind of the hard grunt work and they see other people sort of maybe on, on more senior roles, maybe not work into the same extent and they feel like I should be paid the same as them, not realizing they have to earn the, the right and the experience and the skills to get there. But if you're a family person in the UK and you have been hit really hard with cost of living, trying to see, you know, make ends meet for your family and everything's gone up, you know, clothes, food, your daily shopping allowance, all those things, your kids need more pocket money. If that's pulling at you in all directions, then you're going to look at pay and kind of have a different lens by which is it fair, you know? So I feel like the cost of living crisis hits different generations in a different way. I do find that interesting that you were saying the differences between the US and the UK. And I'm just wondering why that might be in terms of youngest feeling like they're they're most unfairly paid. Is it anything to do with the system that, that, that we have in place with the way in which we're taxed? I mean, I don't know whether or not you've got any thoughts on that, or maybe maybe we should maybe we should yeah. move on because I'm not a tax expert. So. <laughs> nor me, nor me. I really don't know, is the honest answer. I don't know why there's such a difference between how Gen Z feel in the US versus the UK. I would yeah. say there's a myriad of kind of social factors playing into that, though, in terms of like how we bring in our grad populations into organizations and Great the levels point. that we put them at. And and I think, you know, in some cultures, there's very much a feeling like you have to earn your place and you start off on a low salary in your first year. And that's perfectly fair. Whereas somewhere like, and that's of course role specific, you know, I was talking to uh, an employer there the other day and they were telling me they have their grads on like 68K for particular roles, technology roles. And I was like, wow. Wow. And I, I know another employer who has their grads on, on 30K. So yeah. it's just, uh, it's, it's very specific to, so I suppose you're going back to who responded and what roles and sectors they were in and so on. It's There's a myriad of factors to unravel there. But yeah, I, I feel like we treat our grads very differently in, dif- in different fields. I want to move us on to another part of the report. Really interesting one, actually. It's headline, men are more likely to ask for and receive raises. I don't know what that kind of feels, because kind of a something that people have always talked about when it's talking about the the gender pay gap. It's this idea of, you know, women are more likely to look at a role and think, I'm not going to apply for that because I only tick seven of the 10 boxes, but a man would apply for it if he ticks five of the six boxes if it's along that kind of mindset but can I just get some thoughts from you on this particular section because I thought that was quite interesting about you know if you've asked for your raise did you receive one yeah yeah I think that this is an issue that just hasn't gone away sure it's not like it I, I feel like it's still the case today that men can be quite vocal about going for their raise and feel entitled to it and rightfully so because they believe they have all of the skills and experience that equates to that level in the organization whereas the women will be more cautious shall we say about the skills that they believe they have and that they believe they're entitled to a certain level of the organization and we have not got rid of that problem. And and despite so much empowerment around women and, and conversations around it, it's still there. And I think the other thing is that there's definitely, we can't get away from the fact that maternity leave is still playing a factor here. And, and even in some countries, 
you're only out for six months, if even some countries, people only take three months maternity leave. So you can't in any way say that, you know, somebody who takes three months out of their career should be on a different salary than anybody else. But certainly that has been an excuse, I think, for far too long about why maybe they they didn't go for the senior roles because they were with their young kids and therefore they ended up on the on the smaller salaries because they didn't push up the the leadership levels in the organization at the time. We haven't solved these problems, and I think it's it's long overdue that that we do. And I think transparency around salary ranges is one opportunity to to, to resolve it because in the end, should we be forcing women? to go in and demand salary increases. I think not. I, th- I think employers no. should, should you know, have transparent salary ranges. And at the point when managers are making decisions, we should be able to reflect up the implications of those decisions. Because you think about a manager, he makes a salary review decision pretty much annually and maybe some mid-year adjustments. At that point, he's probably not thinking about the long-term impacts of gender pay gap. We have to be able to flash up that information for them right there and then at the point of the decision to be able to extrapolate and go, okay, if you make these salary review decisions the way that you're you're initially going to do, this is the implications on your gender pay gap for your team. And if we extrapolate that out, this is what it's going to look like. I think when we can give them that information, it gives pause for thought. And I think people would think quite differently about salary reviews because in the end, the salary review and the gender pay gap is kind of, it's not just a symptom of, you know, an organization is not looking after their women. That's not the case. It's a symptom of tons and tons of decisions being made at the manager level year on year on year. So we have to catch them there. And actually, it's even before that. We nearly have to catch it earlier than that. It's like even in the performance process, are we being fair to women in that process? For example, do they get as much feedback? as your male colleagues, it shows that women receive 20% less likely to receive actionable feedback from their managers than their male colleagues. You know, so even at that moment, are we being fair and opening the development opportunities for women as we do for men? So I think for the for the ladies and men out there making those salary review decisions, having those performance discussions, having those feedback moments, we have to reframe their thinking at each of these points in order to resolve. Mm. I think that's a that's something that yeah like you've just said gets really overlooked the importance and the value of the middle managers it's all very well talking about talking big macro sort of numbers oh yeah. we're a business that's got 100,000 employees and we're committed to you know doing this this and this that all happens up up here like, why am I pointing up in the air these this is an audio yes. platform people for the people that are listening in I'm raising my hands to a certain uh, sort of invisible bar but it's like happening at, at the top of the organization but it's all of those, it's everyone has that role to play to just think and think, what can I do to have an impact rather than just think, oh, this is a company policy and if this is this is their problem. This is this is the, the C-suite's problem to solve this. Yeah, exactly. I think it's much more granular than a C-suite problem. I mean, for sure, there's C-suite policies and strategies you can put in place to drive your gender pay gap to 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 a much better place. But in reality, it's thousands of managers making probably thousands of decisions over years that, that kind of got us here and that can get us out of here. And that's, I think, why we're so passionate in Become about this, because 
you know, we can put that information on front of the manager when they're making those salary review decisions. So at the point where those decisions are being made, we can flash it up and go, hey, have a think, because this is what's happening here to your team. This is this is how this plays out. And I think, you know, it's it's like solving any problem. The first step is awareness, you know, and, and I think if we can at least get that information and awareness on front of them, we can take a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. It almost feels like it's like a societal type thing, isn't it? If you've got that level of information, if you're able to, if you're able to get access to that data as a line manager, you can start thinking about well, what impact can I make? We've got just a few more minutes left of the podcast. And I do, did want to just touch on kind of um, one more thing before I then ask you for any kind of final sort of takeaways for our listeners. And that was the, the interesting section around workers foregoing bonuses to level up equal pay. Can you just talk to our listeners about that because that was a really interesting kind of angle that I haven't seen before. Yeah, this was wild to be honest. I I was really taken aback when I when I when I saw this myself. But so, despite the perception that employers aren't doing enough to reverse and prevent pay discrepancies, not that many employees are willing to go. Do you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my pay to level up the playing field, and that's not a surprise, okay? But actually, it was fewer than half said that they would forgo their bonus, but. I still think they're pretty incredible stats. You know, a third of employees in the UK said they would give up their bonus to create equal pay at their company. I find that fascinating. Okay, more than a third said they would they would not. I wonder, I wonder in reality, you know, if you're put to it, can 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 that be real? In the end, I don't think it's up to employees to forgo bonuses or pay. I I think fundamentally this is an employer problem. And the employees shouldn't have to make the sacrifice here to give up their bonus, which was going to fund their holiday or their down payment on a car or whatever it was going to do for them. I'm not sure they should have to do that. I think we we have to have much more strategic pay transparency policies. I think we need to give people information at the right time. And I think there's got to be an absolute unified approach across the company in order to resolve this. In the end, I don't think any employer should be asking an employee to give up their bonus. But interesting that they said that they would. Yeah, really interesting. And like in my head, as I was reading that, I just I was just wondering, is that because and we'll we'll never know this because obviously you can't go into the granular details of every single person's response. But is it kind of a generational thing? Is is it some of those those younger workers that are talking about it a bit more that are becoming a little bit more conscious of equality and fairness? And is is it is it that could it be that collective? Maybe, maybe not. I'm just kind of hypothesizing here. But what I think is it's almost like faith in humanity type thing that you're thinking that there are there is a collective of people that are are looking at how can we support and and really drive that awareness and that kind of gives you a bit of hope doesn't it really it really does i mean i think the care like what really struck me was the care people have for this topic. You know, there was a real passion of more needs to be done. Governments need to do more. Employers need to do more. And and there there's a much greater social conscience. And I have to really, I suppose, applaud the generations that came up behind my generation, if you like, because I think they come with a much 
stronger demand for social fairness and transparency and so on. I don't believe that in my generation when I was coming up through the workplace that I would have ever felt like I could demand that. You know, it was just it went without saying that men got paid more than me. And it was it was endemic and, and you didn't question or challenge that. You know, I really applaud, I suppose, employees today who are really challenging of it and who are really driving employers to think twice about it. And and, you know, you have to applaud their social conscience. I think I think it's it really does give you hope about the workforce of the future. They are driving a much better place to work. Yeah, absolutely. So we are almost out of time. We're just getting up to the half an hour mark and that has absolutely flown by on a topic that is quite a sensitive one, I would have thought, but there's some really interesting stats that have come out of it. And with that in mind, just before we wrap up, Ashley, if you can just give me a little something for our listeners to take away, if there's anything we haven't touched on today that you thought actually that was really interesting, or if it's a, if you can only read, if you can only take away one thing from this report, take away this, what would it be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I think the report overall showed that the workplace dynamics are are, are evolving and changing and, and, you know, the influence of pandemic and cost of living increases is, is, is pushing that even further. But the key conclusion, if you're looking for one key stat, I think our key conclusion are that employees are demanding greater pay, pay transparency. You know, 79% of employees want greater internal pay transparency. That is most of your workforce. You know, you look around and you're going, most of the people who are here want me to do a better job on pay transparency. And it's better for employees, but it's also better for employers because they're going to see those business benefits through employee satisfaction, you know, them job retention, because they said that they would leave to go somewhere that, you know, would give them that pay transparency. So I think the, the key takeaway for any business is you've got to be looking for that culture of pay transparency, regardless of whether there's legislation forcing you to do it or not, your people are going to force you to do it. So mm. it's a topic that everybody needs, you know, continues to need. I know I know everyone has been taking it seriously for the past few years, but it's not going anywhere. It's really here to stay. This is a topic people feel really passionate about. It's a topic that people care about. And and I really feel like it's 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 time we resolved it. This is, you know, 2023. It's we sh- we shouldn't even have to talk about gender pay gaps, but it's still there. So it's time to it's time to overcome the challenges with it. And what a lovely way to finish off a rally cry. I do love that rally (laughs) cry. So listen, Ashton, it's been absolutely amazing having you on today. Thank you very much for uh, taking some time to talk about the report. What we will do is we'll put a link to the report in our show notes. But do you want to just tell everybody where they can find you on the socials if they want to connect? Yeah, absolutely. So it is check us out, become on LinkedIn or indeed on Twitter. We'd be happy to share the report on with those interested. But yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. It's been great to be here. It's been lovely to have you on. If you uh, would like to listen to any of our other podcasts that we run every single Thursday, we release them. You can do so on lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can also, if you do the forward slash insights, you can see all of our uh, back catalogue of various different pods and videos and blogs that we do and all great stuff like that and white papers and campaigns. It's been lovely to uh, have you join us. Thank you very much. Hopefully you've enjoyed this show as much as I've enjoyed interviewing Ashley. If you have any questions, then please feel free to drop us a laugh. Other than that, once again, thank you to Ashley for coming and we hope to see you next time on the HR on the Offensive Podcast. Bye-bye.